Hi, I'm Dr. Jamil Sayaj. And on this podcast, we're going to talk about some deep stuff. I'm here to tell you that you're amazing. And often, the only person who can't see that is you. No matter who you are, what you do, or where you're from, there's greatness in you. Let's talk about it. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Jamil Sayaj, life, business, and relationship coach, and welcome to the Transformation Starts Today podcast, where I interview leaders, champions, and high performers from all walks of life as they share their story, the lessons they've learned along the way, and empowering perspectives to help you create an extraordinary life without regret starting today. Today, we have Lindsay Sullivan with us. Lindsay Sullivan is an empowerer, writer, Emmy award-winning content creator, theater lover, and podcast host in New York City. She launched Very Nearly Almost, her podcast about alopecia areata and other secret superpowers in September of 2021. Her ultimate dream is to publish a book of essays entitled Very Nearly Almost. Lindsay, thank you so much for being with us today and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It felt so fancy for you to read my bio. I loved hearing it, so thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing really well. I love, you know, it's it's a beautiful day and kicking off uh, any day with good conversation makes me so happy. So I am thrilled to be here with you. Absolutely. And so something that I understand, I understand recently you won an Emmy Award, right? I did. So it, it it's kind of crazy. So we, um, with Broadway.com, we, in addition to the website, we make so much video content. And I would say pre-pandemic, that was something like we had multiple series going that I worked on producing. And so now, um, you know, with the pandemic, something that I was fortunate enough to dive into is our nationally syndicated theater news program, the Broadway show with Tamsin Fidel. Mm. And it's crazy because with any awards, you're kind of like the timing um, of them. So sometimes you work on things that maybe you like leave in the rear view because, you know, you always try to stay present. And so, um, yeah, it was Halloween. Like I was out for Halloween with some friends and it was the New York Emmy Awards and they were virtual again this year. Mm -hmm. And so I got two missed calls from my best friend, Caitlin Moynihan, who is also a content producer. I'm so fortunate to work with one of my favorite people who's just an incredible teammate. And so she called me twice. And of course, my first thought is like, is she okay? Is she all right? And she texted me. She was like, we won the Emmy. We won Emmy Award. <laughs> and so it was, yeah, it was, we had submitted for, you know, this was in October of like 2021. And so we had submitted our episode from, I think, April, 2020. And that, ep- this was honestly, even before I was really honing in on working on the Broadway show. And at that point it was also called Broadway Profiles with Tamsin Fidel. And so, yeah, I, I won an Emmy award for producing this segment that was on it. And it was a amazing uh, photo and video shoot with Rob McClure and Rob McClure is wonderful. He's very beloved in the Broadway community. He is currently playing Mrs. Doubtfire on Broadway and mm-hmm. he actually commutes from Philadelphia to do this role because like having that family time, having that time in Philadelphia is so important to him. So we literally spent 24 hours in Philly capturing like his story and his, like how he lives this sort of day to day. And we even like spent the night and commuted into the city with him to rehearsals for Mrs. Doubtfire. And so, you know, producing is such a weird 
job. It's, it's kind of like hosting a party and that you kind of just have to make sure like everyone is good and everything is okay. And so I'm so proud to be an Emmy winner. And, but it's, when I tell you it, it was for cold calling donut shops in Philly saying, hi, can we shoot really great photos of uh, Rob McClure in like dressed in a power suit, eating donuts at your shop? Um, you know, it's wheeling around a suitcase of suits for Rob McClure. It's making sure that we're keeping time going to the next destination. So yeah, it's, it's wild and I'm endlessly grateful. Um, but yeah, explaining what I do to people can sometimes feel hilarious because producing (laughs) is such a kind of catch all of tasks. Well, congratulations when you got, thank you. When you got that phone call, it must've been wonderful. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I, again, I was out and about and just was so honored. It's just, you know, something I said in my reaction sort of to it was, you know, I always dreamed of working in theater journalism. That was always from a very early age, something that I randomly was like, I want to do this. Um, So it's like working at broadway.com is such a dream come true, but in terms of like TV production, like I grew up watching morning shows. I grew up watching like the news and being like, oh my gosh, like Regis has the coolest job. And like the ladies on the view have the coolest job. Um, It just felt like you were always doing something different and exciting. And from a very early age, when I was thinking about like jobs, I was like, I don't want um, a job where it feels like every day is the same. I think a job is a job. I think whatever you feel called to do is wonderful, but I have held a couple of jobs where each day feels similar. And that was something very early that I was like, you know what? I I don't think that's for me. Um, So yeah, it's just, I'm I'm so honored. And like the Emmy was one of those dreams that I didn't see coming. Like working at Broadway.com was always like this thing that I, you know, couldn't have imagined that I would achieve by the time I was 23. Um, let alone winning an Emmy, like before 30, like I just never even, and it's awards are something that are such an honor, but I, I wouldn't say that I do the work that I do with awards in mind. Like, it's very cool. Like, and now knowing that it's like, wow, I'm capable of this. And like, she's in my apartment and she's like standing like, this. you know, you can't see me, but she's like in this power pose. Um, so yeah, it's certainly, uh, it feels amazing to have that. Uh, something you just said that I want to make sure the audience hears. Yeah. So notice that Lindsay said, you know, working with Broadway.com, always wanted to do that. But the Emmy thing, it wasn't really on her radar. But by chasing her passions, by going after what excites her, that was a natural, you know, outfl- outpouring of that. And so thinking about in your own life right now, there are things that you're doing or not doing that you would love to be doing. And there's all these positive consequences that will come from that that you may not even know yet, mm-hmm. but taking that first step, taking that next step is always you know, the right move. And so Lindsay, for our listeners who don't know you, they haven't heard your story. I found that successful people often have a hero story, challenges and adversities they've overcome to get to where they are now. If you'd please share with us, what's your hero story? Oh, that's such a sweet question. Um, yeah. So I, um, it's interesting. I grew up in Fairfield, Connecticut and I I have wonderful parents. My father actually is from my hometown. So he's like the mayor, like any, like we can't go to like Home Depot without like, it's like the paps. Like, it's like, like, he'll be like, have a full conversation with someone. And I'm like, and my dad is literally so sweet. And sometimes like, oh, that's blah, blah, blah. That's so-and-so. I have known them since I was in fourth grade. And sometimes I'll be like, I have no idea. 
but he knows everybody <laughs> or everybody knows him. And so there was so much love in my life growing up. Um, but I actually, so I have alopecia areata, which for those that do not know, it is a hair loss disease. It's dermatological. Um, basically like it's an autoimmune disease and your hair can just kind of fall out. Like this is all my natural hair. I've got a cute little bun today because Saturday morning. Hello. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a question mark, um, cosmetic condition. And it's something that obviously like I, myself now I work with the national alopecia areata foundation and I have like, I'm very close with like dermatologists there. Um, Dr. Kristen Lasico at NYU is a very good friend of mine and like a wonderful resource and mentor. And there, she knows she is such a wealth of knowledge about, you know, you being a doctor, like when you really feel passionate about something that, you know, you feel called to study or really hone into as a doctor. Um, she is someone has a, one of the most beautiful full heads of hair I've ever seen, but she knows everything about alopecia. And yet there is still so much that we do not know in terms of treatment, in terms of cause, like my father actually also has it. Um, and so my mom discovered patches on my head when she was giving me a bath when I was two years old. And what that basically meant is all my hair fell out when I was a kid. And so most of my like growing up pictures, baby pictures, I'm totally bald. And so I wore hats and everything. Um, I, you know, and like I said, I had a wonderful support system, like within my family, I had great friends. Like it wasn't like something where, you know, I definitely, in terms of like my personal hero's journey, like I feel like I've done sort of a complete 180 throughout my life. And when I say that, what I mean is growing up, um, I was like so shy and like paralyzed and just nervous. And, and I didn't have a word for it at the time because I think mental health is also something we're talking about more and more. Um, but I was just in my head all the time. And it, honestly, it wasn't even necessarily about my alopecia. Um, a lot of the time it was like, you know, on a windy day or like, is my hat going to blow off? You know, I definitely had run-ins with bullies. I definitely had situations where, you know, people would like steal my hat at school or like run and take it off. Um, you know, I had situations where like I had crushes on boys and like, you know, maybe either they or girls would be like, oh, they would never like you. You don't have any hair. And so, um, you know, growing up like as a support, I'm a support group leader now for people with alopecia areata. So I, you know, at 29, um, I know how hard being a kid and being different, like I think being different in any way as a child, I think, I think kids are wonderful, but I think sometimes like, you know, other, like that idea of like, this person is other, unfortunately can be learned from media, from parents, from family, friends, from outside sources. I think people inherently like aren't judgmental, but I think there's like, cause honestly, a lot of the time it wasn't just children. A lot of the time, maybe I'd be at a play date with a new friend. And I remember even in high school, like I had a mother of a girl I was like getting to know, we had like a slumber party and her mom was like, because I, at that point I would sleep with like my hat on at sleepovers. Cause I felt just really ashamed of like showing my head. And the next morning, the mom like made us pancakes and she was like, what's under your hat? Like, like I was hiding something and it was just really invasive. Um, so just a lot, I felt very, um, much like wanting to fade to the back because whenever attention was on me, 
it was not in a way that I liked. I didn't like getting asked questions. I didn't like getting made fun of. And so I would say from like, not, and I don't want to say I had a bad childhood because like I, you know, I have wonderful parents. I had good friends. I had good times. Um, but I would say like my personality was kind of one note of just like very nervous and very quiet and very shy. Um, that all changed when theater came into my life. Um, I can't like speak enough about arts education and the power of, as you even so beautifully articulated earlier, like when you do something you love, um, and you try to like stay on a path where you can do things that you enjoy, um, you know, your body tells you everything you need to know. Like, I feel like for so long, my body, it just, it felt like this heavy, weight of just anxiety and trying to fade to the back because I was like, I stand out because of this thing I hate about myself. Um, so I just don't want anyone to talk to me. Whereas like, you know, I, I couldn't read in church. I couldn't being like, I loved seeing, I would see like school plays and things even from that early time. Um, and I always, my thought, and I still sometimes feel this way just because I'm such an admirer of performers. Um, and now it's more of like a healthy relationship where I'm like, I'm such like, I'm in such adoration. Like, that's amazing. Like, that's not my path, but that's fantastic. Whereas like growing up, I would go to shows and I would feel so served and I would feel so like filled up, like it really filled up my cup to watch theater. And I would be like, I could never do that ever. Like being, you know, I, I would cry when like my family sang happy birthday to me. Like, I just like, my mom had to come with me to like, like birthday parties that were during the day, like really bad separation anxiety. Um, just, yeah. So I, I really feel like this identity of myself, like from, I would say like, childhood to about almost the end, nearly the end, very nearly almost the end of high school was just like scared and anxious and just like not a great, it, you know, I think about the energy and I feel about like how I would feel sick. Like before I went to school, like I would be so anxious about like, is my hat going to blow off today? Is this person going to ask a terrible question? Am I going to get made fun of? Am I going to get found out that I'm bald under all this? And so, yeah, it was just a really tough time. And so when I got to high school, um, again, I saw the reason I chose the high school I did is, you know, I, I felt very much throughout my early life, like on autopilot. Like I was like, I get straight A's I'm nice, like to a fault. And that's my identity because if anything else is my identity, it's I I'll get attention and I don't want attention. Like it was like, get straight A's, be a good girl. And that's it. Like, that's all that you have to give. And so when I was, you know, I went to Catholic school growing up. And so in high school, like my parents were so supportive. They were like, you can go to this school or this Catholic school or this public school. Like they very much like left it up to my brother and I to make the choice of where to take our next step, which I am so grateful that we had the ability to ask that question. Um, and I remember like being in eighth grade and just being like, okay, like more of this, like more of school, like, you know, I hated school and like, you know, I did really well in it, but it felt like an obligation. It felt like a place where I had to kind of suffer through each day and hope I wouldn't get bullied. And so I remember my, I, I was very like, whatever about the process. And my mother was like, we should go see, they're doing a musical at the high school, at the public high school, and they were doing Anything Goes. And so my mom's like, let's go, like, let's go check it out. And we went and my eyes just lit up and we went with like a couple of friends. And I was like, I literally remember being like, mom, I want to go to school here. I want to go to this school because I want to see shows like this. And she was like, 
great. And of course she's like public school. That's cheap. Amazing. And like, I had a wonderful education, (laughs) but like so amazing. And so, yeah. And it's interesting because I, I went, I made that choice. I went to public school. Um, and I didn't do theater until the following year because we actually, um, so I was very shy about potentially doing theater still, like, even though I made the choice to go to high school, but a lot of my friends that I sort of made throughout my freshman year were in set crew. And so they were like, you can be involved in it, but not be on stage. Um, and I, that really appealed to me. And so I think I did one day of set crew and I was like tools and like wood, there's not my thing. <laughs> and so that was a very, but it's, I, I'm a big advocate for trying things cause you might like them. And, you know, so, uh, I actually, there was a, during when there was a new fall play one day when there were English classes, English teachers were encouraged to bring students to the auditorium to see a brief excerpt of the fall play. And that was like the English class for the day. And so our English teacher brought us to, um, to the auditorium and there was this girl and she, it was, she did, she was playing Sabina in the skin of our teeth. Um, and funnily enough, I'm thinking of your sister, Jillian, because she had the most curly, black, amazing hair. And she performed, she did this monologue on stage. And I was like, she is so cool. And like, she is so confident. And she's like on stage with all of these students and like the full like house lights were on. Cause it was like during the day, it was just like a presentation. It wasn't like a play with the lights out where you can kind of like get away with pretending no one's there. Um, you know, there was nowhere for her to hide. And I was just like in awe. And I, I, I think now like that I've gained some experience and age, like I can articulate why that was. Cause to me, she was everything I wasn't. And she was everything I wanted to be like full head of hair, beautiful hair, like super confident. Like, and so, uh, she, I would run into her in the hallway after that presentation. And I kind of told myself, I was like, I need to tell that girl she did a good job. Cause she's so cool. And like that, like talking to people, it's weird. Like as I got into high school, like I was very lucky in that, like I kind of made friends pretty quickly. Like, I think I just being in a new place where I wasn't confined to like my previous identity and a uniform, I think I felt a little more like, okay. Like we kind of started chipping away at the anxiety. Um, so I remember finally getting the courage to go up to this girl in the hallway. And I was like, you are so amazing. I saw you in the play presentation. And I, I just think you're so cool. And she was like, what is your name? And I was like, I'm Lindsay Sullivan. And she was like, are you doing drama club? And I was like, oh, you know, I did set crew, but in my head, I'm like, I like banned myself and they basically banned me from set crew because I was not very good at it. And she was like, no, like acting. And I was like, that's scary. And she's like, no, no. She's like, there's an acting class. It's really fun. Take it next semester as an elective. I take it too. And so I was like, her name was Catherine Ladadio. And I was like, I could be in class with Catherine Ladadio. And I was like, it's a class. Like I'm good at school. I could do this. And so, you know, the rest is kind of history and that like, I took that class and learning to sort of act in front of a smaller group of students started to make me be like, okay. And then from there I did at drama club. And the thing that was wonderful about my high school was that it's potentially like some shady people might be like, this is good and bad, but they, everyone got a part that tried out. 
like, which was amazing. Like if you tried out for the school play, it wasn't like this very early rejection, which I know, like, especially having such close friends in my life that are performers, I know as you sort of graduate on to like environments of like college and things like those things, when you're a student, especially a student that is invested in the arts, those really like define your worth and they can feel really like heavy. And so everyone got a place. And so, um, I was able to be in like the chorus of like every musical, like do the play. And I, it's interesting. I remember the first day I was going on and like, it was like a school classroom scene. We were doing Anne of Green Gables and I was going to be sitting with a bunch of other kids in a class. I didn't eat anything all day. I was so nervous. Like I was almost crying being like, why did I do like kind of those same feelings I would have in school when I was like, I don't want to be like in person or like surrounded by people. And, um, as soon as I stepped on stage, I was like, on, like my friend Tiffany was in set crew and I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. She's like, you're with like a bunch of people. And the minute we got on and got off, she found me and she's like, how are you doing? And I was like, that was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> like, I was like, that was so much fun. And so I kept doing it and I got more comfortable. And by my senior year, we did To Kill a Mockingbird and I played Scout in the senior year play. Like I led the play and I did not know I could do that. Like I, when I got cast in the part, like I was like, I'm leading a play. I have to memorize all these lines. And I will say like that happened. So, um, I know this is a long story, so feel free to cut like, or if, 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 if you need me to like speed it up, like I am not offended, like whatever you need for your listeners. Mm -hmm. Um, but basically, so I got more comfortable doing drama club and that really made me so happy. Um, and something sort of happened that was very formative when I was a, uh, going into my senior year of call of high, sorry, something very formative happened when I was going into my, um, senior year of high school. So I was very close friends with a young woman who, um, her name was Emma Von Euler and she, um, committed suicide in June of our junior year. And it happened suddenly. And she was someone who, um, you know, she played multiple instruments. She was like head of French honor society. I was in advanced English classes with her. She was really someone who, um, walked to the beat of her own drum and like, like in a way that I think people think they do in high school, but she really did. Like, she was like, you know, just such a wonderful person. And so when that happened, obviously it was devastating. Um, but you know, knowing your story too, Jamil, like I think death is such a terrible thing, but it is truly so formative for us that have the gift of continuing to live on. And so when that happened, um, obviously it made me and my high school friends very, very close. And I would say that summer following, um, because Emma was such a uh, force, like I kind of reevaluated and was like, she is this person who walked to the beat of her own drum. And like, it breaks my heart that something was going on where like, she didn't want to celebrate that. So I really want to celebrate that in my own life. And up until this point, all through high school, I was still covered. So I, this is all my hair. Hello. But I have like a big bald spot on the back of my head. And so I would cover that up with hats or with clips and, um, you know, high school, I definitely was getting better. Drama club definitely helped, but I was still covering up because I didn't, you know, I I'm like five, two straight A student in front of the class. I'm like, I don't want to explain to the people behind me what's going on. And so, um, 
whatever inspired me going into my senior year of high school, the first day I was like, I'm going to just let my hair be down and my spot will show. But like, you know, it's because I, I remembered that uh, it was one of those interactions that you think doesn't mean a lot, but in retrospect, it does. And we were in English class and I was wearing a hat to school that day. And so I had my hair just like down with a hat. And so I went to the bathroom with Emma and Emma was such a close friend of mine that I actually took my hat off and was like finger combing my hair. And she was like, Lindsay, like your hair looks so good. Just like down, like, just like, and I was like, oh, like that's, that's sweet. Like I, I just, you know, she was someone I trusted that I could like do that quickly in the bathroom with. Um, but she was like, you should just like wear it down. Like you look so beautiful. And I just, you know, I like threw the compliment away. I was like, okay, I'm never going to do that, but thank you. And so, uh, I remembered that like at some point during that summer and I was like going to this year, I'm not going to cover up. And I, not that I wasn't scared. I certainly going into that first day of my senior year of high school, I was, I had a baseball cap in my bag. I was like, we're going to like, if I need it, I'm going to grab it. And I didn't. And like every, you know, when I was a kid and like people saw my spot, like they would tease and they would say things or they would ask me just really ignorant or rude questions. When I tell you, like I got to school and like no one, A, like no one had anything to say other than like my close friends that knew it was a big deal for me. And they were like, you look so beautiful. And so ever since then, like my life has just opened up. Like that day I made a decision to step into myself. Um, and I haven't stopped covering up since. Like I just kind of let my hair, like I wear enough to when I want to be sassy or I wear like a hat for fashion. But um, yeah, that was a really, I know I, it took a while to get there with my story. But um, yeah, in terms of like my hero's journey, like the decision to step into myself and to do what made me feel comfortable instead of trying to make everyone else around me comfortable Um, you know, I got the lead in the school play. I fell in love for the first time that year of high school. Um, that was a really formative experience. I went to college in New York city, the city of my dreams and met wonderful people like your sister and, you know, started a life in New York city. And then obviously like after college, uh, you know, I struggled a little bit as a lot of people do with like, what do I want to do next? And like getting a job and such, but you know, I got my first full-time job at broadway.com and like that environment is so supportive of my alopecia. Like our staff is all like, you know, if anyone in a workplace ever said anything, I would shut that down real quick. But uh, I've luckily never been made to feel uncomfortable. And like, since then I've gone on to become a support group leader for people with alopecia. Um, I feel so certain in like my beauty and like my, like wanting to empower other people to feel that way. Because something I've learned, Jamil, is like, every single person has like what alopecia is for me. Every single person has that for them, like whatever it is, it could be their maybe emotional baggage inside. It could be something they don't like about their outside. Every single person has their very nearly almost thing. The thing that they wish was a different way or that they've had to like have a self-love journey or a hero's journey to learn to embrace. Um, and because my life has opened up in so many beautiful ways, yes, because of work I've put in, but also like, as you just so beautifully said, like listening to yourself and actually going after what you want and like doing the things you love, good things do come back. Like it's, it's true. And so like 
it honestly feels like my life's work to convey that to people that are struggling with that. Um, cause you know, it's not without struggles. Like I certainly, it was a long road to get to broadway.com and things like that. It wasn't just like, Ooh, green light, green light, green light. Cool. But, um, I do know the difference between, you know, the feelings in my body and the feelings of like, just trying to hide for most of my childhood. And like, honestly, like high school was, was when that switch got flipped. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a very long hero's journey. So I appreciate you listening, but feel free to cut that. However you would like. I don't know. I'm keeping that in its entirety. Thank you. Oh my gosh. You're so sweet. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. And it's so beautiful to hear how you really came into yourself. And there's a few things that let's see if my, if, if memory serves, let's see if we can do this. So I love that first and foremost, you said, I'm an advocate of trying. And you said you were in, um, you went to that play with your mom. And when you were there, you looked around, there was so much excitement. And you said, I, I, I want to go here. Right. Yeah. And in that same way, I believe that things speak to our spirit. They excite us mm-hmm. for a reason. And there's some things that for everyone listening, there are things that inspire you, that excite you that you're like, I really want to do that, whatever that thing might be. I want to go to that place. I want to engage in that activity. And oftentimes we hold ourselves back out of fear and we choose to play small and we live into this, well, who am I to do whatever that is? Or some variation of that. I'm not capable or worthy or good enough or something like that. But when you do decide to follow what excites you, remembering that you could always go back to where you're at right now. Right. It's not, it's not some final thing, right? But if it's exciting you, what if you just chose to believe it's exciting me for a reason. It's speaking to me for a reason. Let me lean into that and let's see what happens. There's that Martin Luther King Jr. Quote that I, I think I've shared it on the podcast a few <laughs> times already. The idea that take the first step in faith. You're not, cause you don't have to see the whole staircase cause you're never going to. Right. And this idea that this excites me now, let me take that step into that direction. And then noticing what that led to as you started to open up more and more and more. And the second thing that came to mind was, I don't remember her name, but there was that woman that you met who said, you should join you know, the drama club yeah. and, and this class and notice all the good that came out of that for you. And for everyone oh listening, gosh. what if you could be that person for somebody else? Exactly. You know, what if you could be those words of encouragement, those words of support, those words of love, that friendly presence, you know, the, uh, the beacon of hope, whatever version of that you'd like to be, you can be that with everyone in your life. And you and never for yourself. know, you can be that yes. for yourself too. Like I, I think it does take someone else to sort of like see you and to say like, you are these things that you're worried that you're not. Um, but yeah, it's, it's becoming, it's being that yes, per, like it's being that encourager and that like, you know, spark to light others as well. But it's, you can also, I'm learning like, you can be that for yourself to be like, well, why not me? Why can't I do this? You know? Yeah. And, and we never know what, you know, one action leads to the next leads to the next right. and down the road. We, you know, we, just like you said, with the winning the Emmy versus when you first started, that wasn't really on your radar in that same kind of way, when you were going to go into your drama class and you initially were like, Oh, I have all these, you know, reasons why I don't want to be, you know, front and center with attention and everything. Fast forward a couple of years, you're leading a play. And it's like, you know, that you still can't believe. (laughs) Yeah. And then we have these amazingly positive experiences. And when we look back in hindsight, we say, wow, this only happened because I made these 15 or 20 decisions over time that I was probably afraid to do in the moment. But I chose it anyway because either, you know, somebody believed in me 
I believed in me. I, I felt like, you know, enough is enough. I, I got to do this. Whatever thing we tell ourselves, we do it. But that's, and then it led to something really beautiful. But that same thing applies right now. And if you look at your life right now, everyone listening, there's something that you want to do. There's something that you might be nervous about, something you're questioning. Can I really do this? You're having some self doubt. And just like in the past, you go, well, there's all these moments where I had that same doubt. And when I broke through that, something really beautiful came from that, whether it was in the short term or in the long term something beautiful comes when you break through that comfort zone and you expand. And where can you do that right now in your life and use that past positive experience as almost like a foundational step forward where you can use it as a model. You could say, well, in the past it's worked. Maybe it'll work now. And I'll only know if I try. So it goes back to, like you said, being an advocate for trying. Yeah. yeah that's such a beautiful way that you articulated that. Yeah. It's Cause it's, I think it's, and this is something I'm kind of working on now. Um, so I just saw the musical, a strange loop, which is a Pulitzer prize winning musical. Um, I went to see it with Alex Malika, who's like best friends with your sister, Jillian as well. And, um, I actually was talking to my therapist about this yesterday because there's a scene in the musical. I don't want to give it away, but there's a scene where the protagonist um, who has a lot of self-loathing and a lot, it's, it's a very cool musical where it's a protagonist and then his six thoughts are the ensemble. It's like six different complex, like competing thoughts, like kind of singing through what is going on in his mind. And there's a scene where he um, is like, going to hook up with someone and he feels very like not good about himself or how he looks. And, uh, Michael R. Jackson, kudos to, um, the creator of this musical, but he said, as the person's about to like kiss him, he's like, please change me. Please like make my self-loathing going, go away. As if this one experience will like, um, do that and fix quote unquote fix him. And so obviously, like I was talking about that to death with my friend that I saw the show with, cause it's, it's just such a powerful musical, but I, I bring this up because I've been thinking about that moment myself a lot, because I think as you just so beautifully said, like, it's not just one big decision that's like, obviously we do have to be self-aware. We need to consider our safety. We need to consider, you know, stability in our life and the relationships we do have with other people that we need to be considerate of. But um, this idea that like, if I achieve this one thing, or if I do this one thing, or if I like, you know, have this one thing in my life, it'll make this difference. Um, you know, obviously like choices we make, it, it's not just one choice. It's a series of choices of choosing ourselves and they might not always go the way that we planned, but it's, again, I think our body and our energy kind of tells us everything we need to know about like what is right for us and what is good for us versus like making a choice that's, you know, in perfect example, like winning the Emmy, winning the Emmy wasn't like fix me, make me like myself. Like it's, it's a wonderful thing in a series of steps. Um, but it doesn't make my life perfect. It doesn't make me feel, um, like I sit in a ball and I'm like, now I'm happy perpetually. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's just always kind of recalibrating with ourselves. Like, how are we doing? Um, are we seeking validation externally? Like it, if so, is it like a healthy goal that we've actually been working towards? And it's something we want to celebrate because it is so important to celebrate those moments. Or are we putting our whole identity in something happening in a certain way? Cause that's also harmful too. Yeah. There's a perspective that I have that I want to share with everyone listening and you alluded to it. Oftentimes people will say something like, you know, some variation of, can you fix me? 
-hmm. And I will respond with no, because you're not broken. And, and, And this perspective that I believe each of us is already whole, perfect and complete. It's just that we have these stories in our mind of expectations of how we should be given what we see outside with other people or with society, or we need to be a certain weight. We need to have a certain amount of hair. We need to do certain things, make a certain amount of money. And it's all this like outward comparison mm-hmm. to other people. And all that does is it, it puts you in the land of should, which is the land mm-hmm. of shaming. And when you're coming from this place of I should be something that I'm not, or I, I should look away that I don't, I should have more than I do right now. All it does is it robs you of your peace that you could experience in this moment. And you're coming from fear and you're coming from just like anger, maybe resentment, things like that. But if we can just let that go and we can control the controllable, I look the way that I look, I have what I have, I do what I do and I am who I am. And now from that foundation of acceptance, of surrender to that, You know, there's a beautiful book by a woman named Byron Katie called Loving What Is. And just the idea of your peace lies in first and foremost, loving what is coming from that foundational place of acceptance and surrender to this moment, because it is. I often tell my clients some variation of it. If it's raining outside and I'm really upset and you say, you know, why are you so upset? And I say, it's not supposed to be raining. Mm -hmm. What sense does that make? It, it is raining. What do you mean it's not supposed like, to be? you good. Yeah, exactly. It's like if I'm really upset right now and you say, why are you so upset? And I say, because it's raining. Somebody up the street is really happy. And you say, yeah. why are you so happy? And they go, because it's raining. <laughs> and we each have a different story about what the rain means, right? But going back to, mm. it's not supposed to be raining. Well, if it is raining, it's supposed to be. And that's the evidence. It's all you need. In that same way, I look a certain way. I make a certain amount of money. I've got certain, what I might call imperfections, whatever that might be. Like you said, we all have something. But what if I just say, well, whatever I have is what I'm supposed to have, given whatever has happened to me and the actions that I've taken and not taken. And if it's a physical thing, maybe it's a genetic thing, whatever it is, it's led me to this moment. It is what it is. And if I come from that space of acceptance and I drop the, I should be anything other than what I am, from that place, that's your seat of power to make a change. And if the change is possible, whatever it is you could do to improve your situation and you want to do it, you go do it. But the intention matters. So rather than doing it from a place of a, a deficiency and I'm not enough and fear and I'm running away from something, I'm trying to, like you said, cover up the imperfections or fix myself. That's almost coming from like self-hatred. And when we do that, you never get there. You never experience the peace. Mm-hmm. But when we let that go, and now we make any changes we want to make from an empowered space of, you know, I don't have to make any of these changes because I'm already perfect as I am, but I want to make certain changes. And so I go do that. But from a place of I'm already enough, that makes the biggest difference in my mind. I have this distinction I share with clients. You can either go after what you want in order to get happy, Mm. or you can go after what you want happily. I love that. Yeah. If you go after what you want in order to be happy, you never get there. And the reason is that happiness is not outside of you. Happiness does not come from things. Happiness is, if you call it an emotion, emotions aren't like little clouds that you just kind of bang into from time to time and then you experience them. They come from inside. They come from the meaning that you give to situations. And so people, and the easy proof of this 
There are millionaires and billionaires who have everything that you think you need in order to be happy. And many of them aren't. Now, some of them are. And then there's people who have practically no money at all. Like most of the planet lives on less than $3 a day. And so if you come from that space, some of them are really happy and some of them are really miserable. So that means in all four quadrants, the people who have the money and the people who don't, some of them are happy and some of them are not because it's not about the money. It's not about the material possessions. Now, of course, money matters. All that stuff is important. But when we come from that space of, all right, if I'm recognizing that I thought I'd be happy when I got a certain amount of money, when I got a car, when I got a certain house, when I got a certain job, when I got a certain relationship. And then maybe there was a temporary sense of like pride or uh, enjoyment, you know, something like, oh, wow, this is great. But it usually wears off after a while. And when it wears off, then we strive to go to the next level. And we say, oh, I thought that would make me happy. It didn't. Maybe it's this higher level. And what you realize when you take that step back, that's a never ending like hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. You're going to be going on that forever. So what if we flip it and say, I'm going to go after what I want happily, which means that here I am now. I'm going to fully love and accept myself for where I am, for what I have, for how I show up in the world. Then I'm going to get clear on what I want. And I'm going to fall in love with the process of every day, just doing what I can do, doing what excites me. Like you said, like earlier with the school experience and the play, doing what excites me, leaning into what my spirit feels like it's being called to do and just loving and accepting myself along the way. And being that, that woman that, you know, really encouraged you, like you said, being it for yourself and being it for others. If you just did that, Every day along that journey doesn't mean there's not hardship, doesn't mean there's not challenge, right. but every day along that journey, it can be a really beautiful day rather than coming from the headspace of I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. It's like, which, I'll be happy when. Yeah. And then you just, you won't because yeah. Yeah. It doesn't happen that way. So if we come from, again, this place of acceptance, oftentimes people say, you know, one of my mentors, she's a, you know, a weight loss coach. And she tells her clients who are usually very overweight and she'll say to them, you've been, you've been trying to lose weight essentially by hating yourself. You've been mm -hmm. trying to do all these crash diets and yo-yoing and doing all this stuff. And it always bounced back and it never works. If you want to lose weight, you need to fully love the weight you're at and you need to accept yourself fully for how you look. And so many of them are so rooted in, I don't love myself how I look and I don't accept myself. And this is ugly and all these stories that they have that they have a really hard time with that. But it's not until they come into that place of, you know what? Like, regardless of the weight, my, this is like my physical body and it keeps me alive. And like, I give, again, I can go around and I have experiences. And the point being, it allows me to have all these wonderful experiences and they start to love themselves. And all of a sudden, finally, the weight starts coming off. And so again, as a kind of wrapping that up, that point, what if you chose to love and accept yourself for where you're at right now, knowing that once you do that, that's when change is finally gonna happen for you in a consistent way. You know, I often tell people, your lasting breakthrough, your lasting change, it's never gonna come from more judgment. It's gonna come from higher levels of self-love, compassion, respect, and forgiveness. And when you come from that space, it's incredible how quickly your life can change. Right, and even like, I, that was so beautifully articulated and like doing what, get what you want happily because with um I think back to like that first drama like when I was like I'm gonna take this class like it wasn't with this because at that point I didn't know that like theater journalism was what I wanted to do but even when I did know that like 
you know, I, I did it happily. I was like, I'm going to try this class. I would love to try this. And then, you know, going on to college, um, I was a very unique case at Marymount Manhattan college because I was a communications major, but I knew I wanted to cover theater. So it was very, it was kind of, in some ways it was, I loved going to Marymount, but it was such an interesting thing because all my best friends were like performers and like wanted to be on Broadway and like wanted all of these things to happen. But I was also in a major in communications with everyone around me wanted to like work at a fashion magazine or produce 30 rock. And I was kind of the weirdo that like was in communications. I made my own theater minor that was, that would help me kind of have an expertise in theater because I was like, I want to be a theater journalist. And like, the articles I would write for the student newspaper were like reviews of plays or like interviews with students that were like in the plays. And um, it's funny because when I think back on those decisions, I know that that was great experience for my ultimate career. Um, And I'm sure like I'm a pretty like ambitious person. So I'm sure I took that into account. But when I think back on those experiences, it was, I remember very much the chief emotion was this will be so much fun. Like I'm going to go review the play or I'm going to go interview this girl that's leading the play. Um, We're going to do the student newspaper. And something that I, that was very important to me going into the working world was, um, and Lin-Manuel Miranda says this a lot where he says like, I love doing the school play. That's what he called kind of doing Hamilton. And I, if I think back to like doing high school drama club, doing student newspaper in high school and college, like it just felt like such a fun thing to do. And so, but it was also work. Like if I look back on those experiences, like you put a great deal of work into these extracurriculars. And so I'm such an advocate for like, make the thing you love your purpose, make the thing you love your work. And it's, it becomes just fun. It becomes less of like, I need to get to this point to be happy sort of thing. And, and you just say yes and try. And I, I'm actually, a, there's a woman, um, Emily Fletcher, she's like the founder of Ziva meditation. And she actually gives a great talk about the science of meditation and what is going on in the body physically when you meditate and what those sort of, um, the benefits can be, because I think a lot of us got into meditation during the pandemic, but for me, it was something that I was like, I kind of want to know like what's actually going on because it's, I think some people can be dismissive of it or like, that's so woo woo or this and that, but there's actually physical benefits to Mm -hmm. meditating, which of course I'm sure you know everything about. Um, but she said something really beautiful about how meditation is supposed to sort of clear space for you so that, you know, whatever amount of time, whether it's five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, two hours a day, 15 minutes a day, whatever you can give to yourself in meditating, the ultimate goal is to clear space in your mind and heart so that you are in tune with, instead of, as you said earlier, like what will make me like, what, how can I get to being happy? She's like, you should really be asking at a moment when you are feeling maybe an emotion you don't love, like sit with that emotion and be like, what would I love right now? And it's like, it's, do I need a nap? Do I need to drink a glass of water? Have I not eaten something green in a minute? Like, have I not gone on a walk? Have I not gotten enough sunlight? Um, I could really use a laugh and call that friend. So it's, but I think like, those are sort of in the day to day, but I think like in terms of career, every it's like, what would I love to do right now that is in my control? And like, that would be just 
fun to do. And it's kind of approaching it with that same joy that I approach doing drama club, that I approach doing, doing student newspaper. And so that's, that's always the goal in my work um, to kind of feel that like joy of like, yeah. what would I love to do right now? So, um, and my podcast very much feels like that joy thing in my life because yeah. I have so much fun making it. I have so much fun, obviously having conversations with lovely people. I'm a huge nerd and love like audio editing. I just find it really calming. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, those things it's, it's, I think Shonda Rhimes who created like Grey's Anatomy and Bridgerton and Scandal, she calls it the hum. Like when you do certain work and it gives you like, it's, it's your whole body. It's, it feels kind of centered and you're like, I am working right now, but every fiber of my being is like, this is so much fun. I love doing this work. And so mm -hmm. that's, it's doing things happily. I, I just love that sentiment so much. So it made me think of all of that. That's fantastic. Given the experiences that you've had and, you know, the story that you shared for, you know, for our listeners, when you were in challenging times, darker moments, moments of doubt, what helped you through it? What did you remind yourself of? It's so interesting you asked that, Jamil, because I, something that I've been kind of reminding myself of recent. Um, so when I graduated from college, um, you know, I was a straight A student, editor in chief of the student newspaper, made my own minor, like, you know, summa cum laude. Like I was like, R I was an RA, like I was very like, let's go, like what's next. And I graduated and like many people for no particular reason, getting a job was so hard. It took me like a year and a half to um, get my job at Broadway.com, which also in retrospect is not a huge amount of time, honestly. But when I came out, um, yes, I was in a better headspace. Like, yes, I was this person who like rocked my baldness and like had a much fuller life. But I also at that point, I think I was still like turning the needle because in my mind, like success had such a narrow definition. Like I didn't need to get a job. I, I was like, I'm no one unless I have a job. I'm no one unless I have a job at like HuffPo or like Playbill or Broadway.com. Like I was like, I need like this brand name sort of thing. And so um, when I came out of college, I was temping. I started like writing articles for places and getting like paid to do that. And that was like the weirdest thing ever, but the cool, again, like the coolest thing ever, just joy. I was like, I get paid to like review all the open mic nights in my hometown and tell people like which one is good and which ones are trash. <laughs> like, um, so it's, it's just like fun. Um, but I waitressed at like a grilled cheese shop. And then I ended up getting a temp job at Sirius XM, which is where I interned like at the end of college. And I really wanted to work there. And so I temped there for like the better part of a year. And I really, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to get a full-time job here. And if I don't, I don't get that. And I'm going to be devastated. And so I, I interviewed for a full-time job. I got to the last round and I'll never forget. I got the call that I didn't get it, but I was also still working there as a temp. So I was just like angry. I just like left. Like it was like 4 PM. I had like an hour left of work and I just like put on my sunglasses I was like sobbing and just was like, I'm out. And so I left and like, of course came back and like did my work the next day. But that, that was a really dark time because I was kind of like, if not this, what? And I, I do actually remember because I was commuting from Connecticut at that point, I was living at my parents' house to save money um, to eventually move to the city. And um, I remember being on Metro North and looking outside and being like, if not this, what? And like, I was very like sad, but then I was like, wait, if not this, what? I could do anything. 
Like I could do anything now. And, um, within, you know, again, uh, my best friend, Alex, like started showing me Broadway.com videos in college. And I was like, this is just like the best, like, it's so great. And, but you know, it's a very small editorial staff still is. And so, um, Imogen Lloyd Webber, who's wonderful. She's Andrew Lloyd Webber's daughter. Uh, she was working there. So I, in my head, I was like, you need to be like related to like someone. And you know, Imogen is so successful in her own right. Like learning from her was such a privilege for the time that I was able to do that, but getting a job at broadway.com, it felt like this Fort Knox thing. And so I remember like getting rejected from Sirius XM. I, I literally got home. My dad gave me like a card and a Snickers bar. Cause like my parents were like, they didn't know what to do. Like we all thought I was getting this job. And I was like, I'm going to move to the city. My life's going to change. Sirius XM is my dream. Cause it, it wasn't even like, and Sirius XM was a wonderful place to work. It was awesome. But it was also like, it, I didn't get that, but I got the perfect thing for me. Like broadway.com was like also the dream, but it like I remember like within a couple months after that, I saw that they were hiring um, an editorial assistant. And I remember coming home that night and I was like, I am getting this job. I am applying for this job tonight. My like laptop wasn't working. So my best friend came over with her laptop and let me apply for the job on her laptop. So it's all like your support system is so you, it's not just you and the hero's journey. Like that you, it's so important to like have those people that are like, I see you and you're doing great. And I'm here to help you and give you my laptop when it's pouring rain at 10 PM. Cause you feel like you need to apply to this job right now. <laughs> and so I did. And, um, it's interesting because I applied Jamil and I didn't hear back for a while. I kind of budgeted, like when I was applying to jobs kind of continuously, I budgeted like two weeks, like in two weeks, I will hear about this. And, um, you know, after that, whatever. <laughs> so, um, I was like, I'm not going to waste energy, like worrying about something. And, uh, so I was working at Sirius XM. My temp job was kind of getting to the end of it. Like basically the rule was like, you're in a department for six months is like the limit. So I was an editorial for six months and then they liked me enough that they were like, we're going to put you in marketing. Cause we just want you around. Cause you're the best. And I was like, Oh my God, thanks. Jokes on them. Marketing was not my jam. And like, I did it, but like happily, Ooh, I don't know. Um, and that was very much a job where I was like, I don't want to do this every day, which again, those are so valuable too, because I got to understand when I was 22, I was like, great, this is what I don't want to do. So I'm going to put my energy and my work in a direction of what I actually do. So like such a gift having that, that job and that experience, um, and that they were kind enough to keep me on. So I had a job at all. Um, but I remember towards the end of that job, my boss was a wonderful man named Rich Pryor. And he was the person that was like, come to marketing. Like, you're so great. Come to more. And he was so sweet. And I remember he basically put like an e-commerce job together, like with me in mind. Like, he's like, you're going to run this e-commerce page. People buy like physical radios, like to listen to Sirius XM. I basically would be running this like website where people would like buy physical radios over the internet. And he was so excited because he he was very there for me when I didn't get the editorial job because I was in marketing with him and he was really sweet. And he was like, I can't believe that didn't go that way. Like, you're so talented. And he was like, I'm really sorry. He's like, and it felt kind of like a done deal. He's like, that, that was just a really tough experience. He very much validated my experience and was just such a wonderful person in my life. And so here he is, a mentor of mine, kind of presenting this job to me. And it's you know, like I would work at Sirius XM. There's the brand name. I would 
have financial stability. I could move to New York. Like I had been wanting to, and it was so hard because every fiber of my body was like, do not do this. You do not want this job. Like you don't want to do this. And at the time, because my temp job was ending. So I was going to not have a job in like a month maybe. And he was like, girl, you're going to have this job in a month and you're going to move to New York city, girl. I got you. And so I, the day I remember he presented that job to me, I just, I felt sick to my stomach. Like my body, again, your body tells you everything you need to know. And, um, I remember coming home and like, God bless my parents because my parents, yes, I would say they like were very much like achieve achieving is good. But in this particular instance, they were very much like, listen to your body. Like, and you know, we're like, you're living at home. Like it's okay. Like I'm so thankful. They're like, you're not really, we're not really paying for anything other than like you living here. Like you're paying for your commute. Like you don't really have time to see friends because you're commuting. <laughs> so like, you know, um, I am so lucky to have parents that weren't just like follow the money or, you know, a financial situation where they made me or I felt obligated to do that to help them. Like, I feel so grateful for that situation. Um, but it was hard. Cause like, it's hard when a mentor or, you know, Dumbledore says like, it's hard to stick up to your friends. Like, and I had this job that was going to get me all these things I thought I wanted. And I literally felt sick to my stomach thinking about taking it. Um, and it felt like such a betrayal to myself, to my family, to all the goals. Like, you know, me and Alex wanted to move to the city and I was like, oh, this is going to prolong that. And I, I was just, I felt so like in my body, like I really should take this. I, and I was like, I can stay for like a year or two years, but my whole body was like, do not take this job. You don't want it. It's, it's going to be more of what you're doing now, which you don't really even like. And like, so it, it was really hard. And I, at the time, because my temp job was ending, I was just applying to things. And so I actually got a job interv- or an interview for an internship with Billboard magazine. And it was an internship. I had done internships in college. So I had this kind of hoity-toity idea of like, I'm too good for internships. I'm 23. And it was like $8 an hour. And I was like, I can't intern. Like, I'm like a professional grown up lady. Like, I felt too good for it, which is like so ridiculous because it was one of the most valuable experiences I've ever had. And um, I just remember getting, I got that. And I told Rich, I was like, Rich, I got this internship at Billboard magazine. And he basically, he echoed, he's like, Lindsay, like, it would be really bad for you to step away from this job that I'm offering you for an internship. Like he really, he made me feel really bad about it. And like, I understand, like he, I'm sure he stuck his neck out to try to get me this job. And so, um, I reached out to a bunch of mentors kind of presenting the situation, um, for advice. Cause I was just at a loss. Like I knew that I didn't want this job, but I was like, I can't not take this job. Like I'll be such a jerk if I don't take it. And also like, I'm going to continue living at my parents and commuting for $8 an hour to work at a magazine for who knows how long, like, what am I doing? And I remember like one of my mentors was like, you have to do what you want to do. Like, I can't, cause I was basically like begging my mentors to like point me in the direction. And they, and most of them were like, you've been wanting a job for a long time. You deserve it. Like Sirius XM is a great company to work for, but it was actually a really good, another good friend's brother, guess good friend's brothers. He was basically like, you need to do what you want to do. He's like, if I, and he's a very successful journalist. He's worked at like HuffPo, Atlanta, the Atlantic, like he, Nick Bauman is so amazing. And he said to me, he's like, you need to do what you would like to do. 
And so, you know, you asked me that question of like, where were you in those challenging moments? And like, I was panicking. I was, I didn't know what to do. Like even I remember so distinctly. So my temp job ended and I actually, I started at billboard and Rich was like, within a month of your billboard thing, you're going to get a call about this job and you basically need to make a decision. And so I remember I was at billboard and I was loving every moment. I loved writing articles. I loved a lot of my job as an intern was transcribing um, interviews. So I think that made me a better interviewer because I listened to people interview people pretty much all the time. Um, And it was so valuable and amazing. And so, um, yeah, it was just great. And so I remember going downstairs to take the call about this woman, Jessica Fox. She worked in HR at SiriusXM. She was so nice. She called me basically being like, Hey, do you like, you've got it. Do you want it? And I remember excusing myself to go downstairs and go to like a payphone, And I was in like the thing with the payphone, And I just, I, at that point, I, I literally said to my mom that morning, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say. Jessica Fox is calling me today. And I, I didn't know, like, I, I didn't know what my decision was going to be. And so I literally was like in like very anxious all day. I go downstairs. She calls me. And I, again, I, I answered the phone being like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to say. And I just broke down crying. And I was like, I can't take this job. And I was like, and she was like, okay. Like, so it's no harm, no foul. And Rich is still like so encouraging and sweet to this day. Like he's, he, he knew that like Broadway writing was what I wanted. So like, you know, when he saw on like LinkedIn that I like won my Emmy, he was like, oh my gosh, like he's yeah. such a supporter. But um, I, I said that to this woman, I broke down crying in the phone booth. And when I tell you, like, that was a challenging moment, I didn't feel a wash of, yes, I made the right decision. I I wasn't sure. I was like, did I just ruin my whole life? (laughs) Like, I was like, what just happened? And I, you know, I went upstairs and I continued working at Billboard. And honestly, if I think back a couple months later, I got an interview with Broadway.com. And I think one of the things that I talked about a lot in that interview was the editorial boot camp that I went through at Billboard and how much I enjoyed it. And I think that might've been a great factor in like landing me my editorial assistant job. And like, it's for your listeners, like, and I say this to my friends all the time, like, I truly believe if you stay positive and you listen to yourself, I think the things that are meant for you will find you because, you know, I worked with wonderful people at SiriusXM. I thought it was going to be this thing. And like, but Broadway.com, like it's, it was my dream. A, I get to see theater all the time. And like more than anything, like all my people laugh about it. Like all my best friends are my coworkers. Like my best friend, Kate was our photo director and like, just completely like makes our, like made our site so beautiful to look at and has such a gift. And like, she lives in Nashville now. I've been in Nashville twice this year. Cause she's like my girl, like Caitlin Moy. I have so many Caitlin's that I love Caitlin Moynihan, Joanne Villani, like they are my best friends. Like it is, I, I would have never expected that. Like, like, yes, you want a job, you want a dream, but the people that I've gotten to like add to my life, because I think working in the arts makes people very like accepting and like things like that. Um, but yeah, like I went to a wedding for one of my coworkers with his husband, like 
the fact that I get to share that like and work with just like wonderful people and like, you know, Paul Juan Torque is the editor in chief and like, he is one of the biggest champions of my alopecia work. Honestly, like when I launched my podcast, he was like my superstar producer launched this and he always like, you know, well, I think we were having like a staff dinner once he's like, Lindsay, like when's your book coming out? Like he's such a, cha- like he's such a champion of my other work, which I really appreciate. Um, so just on a, like, yes, it's like the, like, all these things that I maybe harmfully was going after, like the brand name Broadway, but I, my life is richer because I now have these wonderful people and I get to do what I do happily. And so, um, yeah, it's, you know, I was in such turmoil at that time. And, and, you know, like I, that was a very roundabout way, but like, I didn't, like, I didn't really lean on anything. I was panicking. I was reaching out to people and like, yes, I got that advice from Nick, which ultimately led to my decision to tell that woman, like, I'm so sorry. No. Um, but it's rejection is redirection. Like it, I was so devastated when I didn't get that serious XM job. And again, like, I was like, when I get this job, I'll be happy when I get this. And like, even with broadway.com, broadway.com is my dream job, but I've certainly had moments where I'm like, oh gosh, like this is really hard or this isn't going the way that I actually think. Like, and so being in that dream job now for six years strong, I definitely feel like I'm adopting those things of like, okay, like what's next. And also like, how do I continue to like, listen to my inner voice and, um, like know that like just having this job, it's not my whole identity. And like having this brand name is not what I have to do what I want happily instead of being like, I'll be happy when I have this. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's a lot of times you might do things and you might not know, like it's when I made, like I said, when I made the, when I, I think some people tell stories, like I told that woman, no. And immediately my eyes brightened. And I was like, I made the right decision. I went upstairs and ate a sandwich at my desk in tears. It was like, I'm working an internship for $8 an hour. And I don't know if I just ruined my whole life. And like, what am I going to do? Um, there's always another door. Like there's always another way. And, um, you, it, it's hard. Cause it's like, we've been talking a lot in this conversation, like trust yourself. And sometimes you like, you just don't know. And like you said, you can't, you cannot see the whole staircase, but you know what? My body knew that I couldn't take that job. And that's all I knew in that moment. Yeah. And I listened to it and like, my life is like so much richer for it, you yeah. know? Yeah. Wow. So as it, for anyone listening, either maybe they're dealing with alopecia themselves, or maybe Mm -hmm. they've got some other condition that they're dealing with. Like you said, we all have something, whatever it is for anyone going through some challenges, some hardship right now, what message do you have for them? Yeah, I, I love the, the title of that book earlier. I think it's like love, like as you are loving what is loving what is. So I, I love that. And I definitely want to check that book out. Um, but love what is, and it's, it's interesting as an alopecia support group leader, I meet so many people that get treatment for their alopecia. And I personally don't because when I made my decision, um, when I was 17 years old, I was like, I want to let my hair do its thing. Um, that's not to say I won't pursue treatment at another time or to say that people that pursue treatment are wrong. It's just, you get to love what is, and like, you get to be the person that, you know, better than anyone, what makes you happy, you know, better than anyone, like what makes you like the way you look. So you get to decide what that looks like. So whatever you're going through, like be it alopecia or something else, like, you know, take the reins of self-love and like 
either rock your baldness or if treatment is something you want to pursue, that's totally fine. Just like own it. Like it's, you know, that's, I think there's so much, um, to be said for confidence. Like, you know, I spent most of my life hiding under a hat and I love hats. They're fabulous. But now I'm like, why am I not going to wear my hoop earrings and my beautiful updo on a Saturday? It's beautiful out. Like the deserve, the world deserves to see it. Like, so it's, <laughs> I think it's just like, try to just, you get to create the best version of yourself, but also only, you know, what that is. It's really easy to fall into traps where maybe your mentor, your partner, your parents, your friends are like, Oh, it would be really cool if you did this, or it would be really cool if you were this version of yourself, but you get to decide what that is. And like, not to say like, as you're maybe figuring that out, like you get to define what that is and it's okay to not know exactly what that is. Um, but try things and try things that, you know, you'll know, like you'll feel good in like trying different things and just, and just hang on. Like when you don't know, like, it's okay. Sometimes you're not going to know like what makes you feel good. But I think if you can sort of dial into that where you can, um, it'll be so valuable and it'll enrich your life so much. I love that. I feel like you just answered the question that came to mind, but I'm going to ask you in case there's anything you want to add to it. You know, the foundation of my work, as well as the foundation of this podcast is to help people create an extraordinary life without regret. Is there any advice that you could share with people in order to do that? Um, yeah, creating a life without regret. It's, you know, again, like, you know, what is best for you, you get to know sort of what will make you the happiest. So, um, and actually like a tangible thing you can try. So I, um, my friend's sister got married a number of years ago and one of the favors was like a beautiful Mason jar. And so I took it home and I was like, what am I going to do with this? And so something that I actually do every day is before, like the last thing I do before I go to bed, I write down like what made me really happy that day. And like some days I go to bed cause I'm tired and I forget to do it. Um, uh, but like last night, like we saw a funny girl and the girl playing Fanny Bryce, uh, actually was in our high school drama club and like yeah. made like this big splashes, uh, the standby for Beanie Feldstein. So that was like a really incredible night. And so I literally, before I went to bed, I was like, Julie Banco is Fanny Bryce. And I put it in my Mason jar. And so at the end of each month, I look through that Mason jar and I like, read each slip of paper. And I think on like, which thing reading it back. Cause it's great. Cause like, it's kind of like this amazing time capsule where I'm like, Oh, I did that this month. And that was great. Um, but I really sit with myself and listen to my body while I read those slips of paper. Cause the thing that makes me the happiest, I actually put in my phone in a note. And so I have no a note since like 2016, the year I started doing it the year I moved to New York city. And it's interesting because that, so it's like 12 things for each year. Cause like I pick one thing a month that like made me the most happy. And sometimes it's hard to pick, but I have this list in my phone and it's the things that make me the happiest. Mm -hmm. And whenever I'm feeling lost or like, I don't know what to do next, I honestly pull it up and it, it like, there are conclusions you can draw from your own list. Like looking at mine, I know that I'm happiest when I'm with friends um, but I'm also obsessed with like nights where I can be alone. So I do need a balance of both. Um, some of those things are work milestones, but I also remind myself that most of those are not. A lot of them are things like, I think one of them is like walking by myself with like ice cream or like one of them is like, I think waking up in New York city. Like one of them is like a fall walk with Alex. Like it's 
just, it's really like, that is just a tangible practice that I've been doing. Like, it's like this weird, like thing that I do for myself, but honestly, it's kind of this beautiful roadmap that I have at all times. If I'm feeling lost, I'm like, what, like, sometimes I've had like a bad day. I'm like, what do I need right now? And I pull up my thing and I'm like, oh, I should watch an episode of Queer Eye. That's like my favorite thing to do. Um, or I should call this friend because they always make me feel full. Like it's kind of this like amazing cheat sheet of what fills your cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also helps me make decisions because I think about decision. I think it helps me kind of think back on decisions I've made. Um, and be like, what was good? And so it, it definitely certainly influences like making choices that hopefully lead to like the least regrets like possible. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. And so as we wrap up, if you would share, what is the biggest risk that you've taken that you're deeply grateful for and why? I love that question. Yeah. I mean, I think just like saying yes to myself. Um, and that has shown up in different ways. Um, obviously like going into my senior year of high school, just rocking whatever's up here. Um, and then going on to, as I just, you know, mentioned, like turning down stability and turning down this job that I was like, this is like ticking all the things that I think I want, but for some reason, my whole body is like, girl, no. Um, and also like with broadway.com, like I, journalism is something that I love and like, but saying yes to like, you know, when I interviewed for the editorial assistant job, they were like, so we haven't had an editorial assistant in like a decade. So we have stuff we need you to do, but it's also kind of like, if there's something you want to do or an article you want to pitch, like that's kind of up to you. Um, so kind of just like, I would say yes to, uh, things. And now I've done so many things and have so many skills that like, I otherwise would not have had. So, um, yeah, just, I I would say like listening to myself and, um, saying yes, saying yes and no to the right things, like deciding to say yes and no to things based on only like what's going on in here is so it can feel so risky, especially when, like I said earlier, like mentors, parents, friends are telling you and and from the most amazing of places, like giving you advice, um, but like, you know, what's right for you. Yeah. I love saying yes to yourself and uh, really, really well put. And I think we can all benefit from saying yes to ourselves more. And so what are you working on now? That's exciting you. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I, we are going into Tony awards season. Um, so it is a busy time at work. I was at the theater every night this past week, which is like such a privilege, like that I even get to say that, um, very nearly almost because of that, like something that was very in setting my intention for creating very nearly almost, um, my podcast about alopecia and other secret superpowers. I never wanted it to feel like homework. Cause it actually started from like doing my support group leadership volunteer work. And I would like hang up from, cause obviously I'm not a licensed therapist, but I've had alopecia for 27 years. So I'll like talk to people and I'll be like, I was like hanging up those conversations, like talking to people one-on-one and encouraging them and being like, wow, I want this to be my job. This is so much fun. Like I love empowering people. And I actually talked to her with my therapist and she, cause I was like, should I be a therapist? And my therapist was like, cause I take on other people's things. And like, I just like want to empower people. So she's like, I don't know if that's the right fit for you. And so we've since determined it isn't, but 
um, that's kind of where the seed was planted for like, I, I'm a media maker and a content creator and I can encourage people in this space. Um, and so doing, as I said, like doing that feels very much like I would love to do that. Like, it feels very much like the thing in my life where I'm like very nearly almost is what I love to do. And, um, I'm so interested to see how it grows and like, you know, what, continues to happen. So, but because like one of my initial intentions was like, I don't want it to feel like work. I don't want it to overwhelm my day job. I don't want any of that. So I'm very intentional. So I released 10 episodes before the holidays. I took holiday time off for myself to rejuvenate. I released an additional 10 episodes recently. And so now I'm taking time off for the Tony awards because that's going to take a lot of my day-to-day focus, which means my free time. I really want it to be free. Um, so I'm looking forward to hopefully relaunching in August and, um, it's been very obviously alopecia specific, but the intention of very nearly almost has always been to highlight other people's, um, things that they kind of struggle with. I interviewed, um, the wonderful Meredith Leslie, um, in season one about her weight loss journey actually, and turning it into a business. Cause now she's an amazing, uh, personal trainer and was also an amazing interview. Um, but yeah, having more voices of people with like other things. Um, so yeah. So it's all exciting things to be working on. And like, I'm just so glad it's nice out and it's the time of year where like, I think we're getting all this energy, but yeah, sharing the space with you has been so amazing. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I I've loved sharing every moment with you as well. So how can our listeners learn more about you, your podcast and how to connect with you? Absolutely. So, um, you can reach out to me on uh, either Instagram. So at Lynn's Sully, that's two S's in there. I don't know why I did that, but she did it. L-I-N-D-S-S-U-L-L-Y 1021. Um, there's also at very nearly almost on Instagram. Um, you know, if anyone wants to pitch anyone or has like something about them that makes them different, they're like, I feel like no one is talking about it. Well, guess what? That's what we do here. So <laughs> feel free to reach out there. Um, my work on broadway.com is, uh, you know, you can't really miss it. If you go to broadway.com, you'll find something that we've been working on. Um, and then, yeah, I have a very nearly almost website, um, where people can also submit if they're interested in either a friend or themselves, like talking about something different or something that I should be paying attention to. Um, and that URL is actually V-R-Y-N-R-L-Y almost.com. Um, so yeah. And and I love hearing from people and connecting with people. So yeah, Jamil, this was a pleasure. I'm so honored to have been on your pod. Your podcast is so wonderful too. And the intention behind it is just amazing. So I'm so honored to have shared this space. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I will have all the show notes, all the links to what you shared in the show notes so you can easily find those. And so for everyone listening, if you enjoyed this conversation, I encourage you to please leave a review, whether it's on Apple or anywhere you're listening, it really does help and subscribe so you get notified as new episodes come out. Anything you'd like to say before we close, Lindsay? No, this was such a blast. And like, thank you for uh, being such a good listener and like sharing so many amazing points and just letting me share my story. I I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. And uh, something you just said that uh, uh, just popped up that I would want to share real quick for everyone. Listening in itself is a superpower. And Mm -hmm. I definitely had to hone that over the years. I used to be a hard (laughs) listener. And just from that space, when people feel heard, when people feel seen, when people feel understood, it's amazing how much they open up. Intimacy deepens, everything improves in in the relationship. And, you know, how could you do that for other people in your life? And so just something that popped into my mind that I wanted to share, but thank you for the acknowledgement. Of course. Yeah. Editing, editing back my own episodes is actually really fruitful because I'll be like, 
I talk so much or like, I'll ask a question. I'm like, Oh, it took a while to get there. So <laughs> it's, we love self-awareness. We love learning about ourselves. So yeah, yeah. it's a great space to do that. But yeah, thank you so much for, um, yeah. Helping people in the way that you do is so special. So thank you. Thank you. And so, as I said, in the beginning, you know, my life's work is helping leaders, champions, and high performers to create an extraordinary life without regret. If there's anything I can support you with, if you're going through something, if you feel like you'd like a new perspective, you want to see if I can help you create a goal faster, help you solve a challenge, whatever it is, I'd love to have a conversation, see if or how I can help. You can connect with me at my website, jamilsayage.com. And if you're looking for other podcasts, other content that I put out over the years that might be able to support you further, you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Jamil Sayage, which is DR and then my name, or Facebook at Jamil Sayage, as well as LinkedIn. I'll have the show notes, the links to the show notes as well. Uh, with everything Lindsay shared. So thank you so much again, Lindsay, for being with us. Everyone who tuned in, thank you for your time, for your attention, for your energy. We really appreciate you. What I have found over the years is that most people's favorite day to change their life is tomorrow. And that's why they stay stuck. But you can be different. For you, transformation can start today. So please listen to this podcast over again. If you think it would support you, listen to those nuggets. As Lindsay said, say yes to you and wonder where could I lean in more to what's exciting me, what's calling me forward, and what could be possible for me if I did that. Get clear on that and go act on it. Create a meaningful day. Be well. Thank you for being with us today. If this conversation served you, it would mean a lot if you left a review and shared this with anyone who may benefit. An extraordinary life without regret is available to you now. Choose it. It's your time.